Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Transformation Gold Podcast. This is your coach and your hostess, Nicole DeVincentis, a.k.a. FigureChick911, coming to you with a little bit more bold. We're going to podcast here. We're going to capitalize on some, some topics of energy, and we're going to build in. I know this sounds kind of vague. I'm thinking about how I want to word this here because this is totally unscripted. I was driving my car, and all of a sudden, I was like, you know what? There's something that we need to talk about on this podcast, so let's go. And we're going to talk about what happens when you are in the wrong environments and how that unequivocally can completely derail you, not just from achieving your goal, but the effects that it actually has on you as a person, on your soul, if you would, (laughs) your mental well-being. All right, so we always talk about the importance of who you surround yourself with. And if it's all right with you, what I'd really like to do is is to dig in deeper. And I'm going to just put on the table my own personal experience and see if there isn't something in there that you can pluck some gems from and learn from. Okay, so here's where we're at. Okay, when we last left our story, (laughs) I'm just going to use my own personal example. And then again, it's just for the purpose of you finding point of application. It's not that, you know, my story is, you know, wonderful or so extreme. And it so when you're on this podcast, just simply know until I have guests on here, this is what you get. Okay, (laughs) you know, she woke up sassy this morning. I'm not sure why. All right, so here you are. Let's say that you are given gifts, okay? And let's say that you start operating in those gifts and you get on a superhighway and you're achieving a lot of success because you're, in the, you're totally in the right environments. You put yourself around the right people. You're putting in the work, okay? Even when you're not at work, at the job, working on the craft, you're still working on it in some capacity, okay? So you're 100% invested in this thing. And then you decide to expand your gifts and you know that the road that you're on, you want to go higher, but there's a lid on the road that you're on. So you start expanding yourself horizontally, okay? So that you can have more opportunity. And as you do that, you inevitably are surrounded by new circles of people. Does that make sense? Doing something new, there's new people around you. And if you do it right, and if you're strategic about it, you continually place yourself around growers and people and the situations and the environments that are going to continue to elevate you, right? And it's like a very, very simple roadmap to do what it is that you are trying to do to the maximum level so that you can serve people to the maximum level. Okay, because we, we talk a lot about leadership. Leadership is totally externally focused. You've got to make sure that your basic needs and that your vessel is full. But once you get those habits underway, your focus goes external. How do I serve my team? This has application to your family as well. How do I serve my family? How do I serve the workplace? How do I serve my organization? How do I serve my pipeline? How do I serve my clients, my guests, whomever this is, my customer, whatever, community, church, 
everything, okay? So it's externally focused. Well, there can be times when you place yourself, and I use those words intentionally because I do not believe that you just end up somewhere unless you allow yourself to drift and end up somewhere. On this podcast, we talk a lot about the responsibility that you have for yourself and the direction that you are going and how it is so incredibly important for you to pay attention to as many cues as you can about the places that you are placing yourself. Now, sometimes when you enter a new environment, you may not know everything that's going on behind And I think this comes with life experience and the wisdom that you acquire as you gain experience about asking the right questions. Let's say if you go on an interview or conducting your due diligence with people who have either been in that place before or, you know, the customer experience, if it was a customer based thing, you know, you've got that responsibility. But sometimes you're in environments where you don't have a lot of control or there's an opportunity which is there and you're moving in to seize that opportunity and it's a it's a short season for which you're gonna be there. You're gonna get in, get your training, and then you're leaving. Okay? And being in environments which are not coddling or encouraging or growth oriented also helps to shape you in many ways when you're in environments which not only do not support you but they're rough environments it's a rough group of people the people in the environments like you can't really trust them do you know what I'm talking about like you, it, this applies like if you're coming from hard beginnings like you learn life lessons it starts to increase your level of mental tenacity and your grit because you're used to having to fight just for your own survival within those environments but when you're looking to crest and branch out to try to remain in those environments and grow, in my experience, it has always been a no-go because you're allowed to develop to a certain place, a certain level, do so much stuff, but you're always surrounded by negative people, people who are outwardly ignorant or mean And this extends beyond bullying. Like I'm talking about people who sabotage you, people who slander your name in public. I mean, they're outright lie about you. And they're always like, you're always being beat down. Those are the environments you've got to get out of. Because what's going to happen over the course of time when you keep yourself in environments with individuals who, honest to God, may be completely ignorant to the level of dysfunction that they operate in. I mean, we're talking blatant ignorance. They don't even know that they don't even know it. It's like that with their behavior. Places where everybody's attention or loyalty changes according to what the group does or according to a certain opportunity. People who 
just square off like they have a lot of emotional volatility. You're never really sure what they're going to do. They kind of give you a sense like I got to I'm walking on eggshells here because I'm not sure what this other individual is going to do. And your spidey senses go up. Whether or not they're going to physically attack you may or may not be relevant, but you get that sense of like this person like they're starting to boil real hot. Does that make sense? And you inevitably, depending on who you are. Now, I'm a woman and I've operated in places with people who are emotionally unstable, emotionally immature, and they've been tripped up and they've been tripped up on drugs. They have zero coping strategy, and when they become afraid for any reason, their first reaction is to physically fight and dominate and win. That was experienced when I was a nurse. Worked in some rough neighborhoods, and you're in there in people's worst day of their entire life, and typically their family would be those individuals. And there was racial bias there, and there was all these other problems here. They don't trust, they don't have emotional maturity, emotional intelligence. They're usually undereducated, so their educational level even as grown adults, you know, education is more than knowledge acquisition. Now, education is, it trains you how to think and consider other perspectives. And when you're truly educated, you also learn command of your emotionality. All right. And that's not part of the culture of some of the individuals with whom I was serving. But I learned a lot in those environments about reading nonverbal cues And my intuition in terms of what we call when people begin to escalate, like I can, it's like I have antenna. I can sense it five miles away. I know how to keep myself safe to the best of my ability. I know how to negotiate my physical presence throughout the room. I know how to de-escalate. And I know how to speak the language of these individuals to get them to snap out of what essentially is their stress response so that I can better serve the person that they're there to see or their loved one, right? And when it's a no-go, then there's other people there who have more physical prowess than me, people who act in a security sense, to pull these people off of me or out of the room because they're in the way and they're causing physical harm. Okay, so it's pretty simple, but you learn a lot in those environments, but you're never going to be able to, if that's who you're always surrounding yourself, you're not going to be able to continue to grow. Your growth is going to be stunted because you're still dealing with the basics such as safety. If it's a a situation where you're dealing with the potential for physical harm. Does that make sense? So from my perspective, it's safety over convenience all day long. But when you're still dealing with day-to-day safety, you can't be dynamic with where you want to go because there's a lot of effort and energy which is spent on maintaining safety. And that could be, I mean, that's anything. That's definitely weaponry today. But again, it's crowd control. And this has application to the home front too. 
So safety is always first. So when you're dealing with those primal basics like that, you can't be making dynamic moves. Safety has to be secured. All right. So then you know, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to grow here. All right. So we're talking growth. That's your goal. And you know how to strategize exiting that environment and going to the next level, doing something else. Okay. Increasing your skill set doing something to increase your income or the the value that you bring to the table when you're contributing in in your role. Okay, so for me, I come from, again, a nursing background. I worked in some kind of rough neighborhoods. I learned a lot. And I also, surprisingly, I, I did not go, I was talking with my uncle over Thanksgiving and we were talking about healthcare and he said something about, you know, it's a very noble profession that you served in. And I said, yeah, yeah, I never really thought about it. I never, I didn't go into it for myself. What has always caught me off guard was the fact that I loved it as much as I did. But as I was talking with my uncle and he was sharing with me about his experience, you know, with different nurses that he's encountered about you know, they're kind and, and all this stuff. And he said, I couldn't do it. He said, cause I, what did he say? Something about like the emotional connection is just not like his way. And all like, it was like an anvil on the head moment for me. I said, you know what? I said, I actually, now that I think about this, I know that I went into nursing because I had a calling, but I never went into it because I wanted to take care of other people. I usually that's like the biggest interview question. And I can tell you, I know that that sounds really harsh, but I said to him, and I truly know this, like I, that was the end result, you know, taking care of people, but I did not go in there with the hand holding and kind of like really calm and supportive demeanor. I was highly attracted to it as I learned more because it, the science aspect of it. Like I'm obsessed with the human body and I love to learn all about it. So for me, when I first started out as a nurse and I was up in cardiology, like the level of emotional investment that you had with these people and they were great people, their families were up there, but it was killer because we got to know these people. They were the same people in and out of the hospital all the time. And when they died, it was literally like a death of your own family for real. I couldn't take it. I mean, I knew that I wasn't staying there, but if I, I could not stay in there one more day. I think I was 18 months in that unit, and then I went down to the emergency room. And for me, that was great because there was, even though I was around a higher level of sickness, way more trauma, way more like badness, if you will, all around, because it wasn't just older people with heart problems. We're talking, this was premature babies, pregnant ladies. This was miscarriages. This was abuse. This was all, all age groups, all different reasons for what was the matter with them. So you, what you're seeing is worse, but on many fronts, it didn't affect me psychologically or mentally because I wasn't there. I wasn't leading with my heart. I was in that environment leading with my brain and I brought the compassion with me but in an environment that is highly charged where you have to be a very clear thinker 
a very critical thinker and you're making very, very high level decisions in a time frame. Time is of the essence. You know, not everybody is dying within like one second, but it's a timely thing that you can't afford to have your feelings inside of there. Does that make sense? And so I learned, at least for me, how to separate that out and remain and function very well and serve all of my patients and their families very well, put together teams of my coworkers or if we had a big problem, you know, that affected, you know, like it was a bus accident or something like that, you know, how to deploy. We had training on this, you know, how to deploy different resources from the hospital to come in and assist us and, and get through whatever, you know, the major event was. And all of those things were trained and and put together for me. And we worked with like the best people. And it was people who could anticipate needs And you knew who your power players were. And there were often times when we worked where we didn't even have to speak. Once we said, you know, here's the problem, like everybody knew their role. We functioned like a well-oiled machine. And whoever was the appointed person in charge, the other person or other people still upheld their high levels of performance, but defaulted to the leadership of that particular individual, regardless of gender, regardless of anything else. And that was the culture to which I was groomed and the culture to which I was used to, especially when I transitioned then into a flight capacity, which is a much smaller team. But now I am empowered with all kinds of tools and resources you know, I have my, my conversation with my partner and the pilot, but we're making decisions that actually contradict medical care that when we were going to get patients from different hospitals and things like that, these patients were being cared for by other physicians and the physicians were often wrong about the care that they had provided. So we then had to step in and make some very, very strong course corrections and we're able to do so in a very either a quiet way or a politically correct way to change the course and hopefully improve the long term, the short term and the long term outcome of these patients. Okay. So that was like, that's like the super highway. That's like best case scenario. Well, then sometimes things happen, as I was saying, where you take different opportunities and you're not in those growth environments. And for me, what happened was that I took a job where the very first day when I came home, and I think I made mention of this before, I remember calling my mom and saying to her, this is a job, this is a political job, and I'm going to be able to meet a lot of strong contacts on here, but this is so not the place where I came from before. And we both agreed, you know what, that might be a really good opportunity. And I'm going to tell you something. I didn't expect to stay there as long as I did. (laughs) I know I say that with everything. But once you get into a place and you start learning and you start growing and you're meeting in different ways, it wasn't, I was, I was still on a, I'm trying to think about what I'm trying to say here. I was still very much on a growth curve And there was a lot of potential opportunity there, but what I kept encountering, looking back retrospectively, was that even though it was, I was in an educational role, which is based on growth and development, there was always caps on what 
we could do either because the hospital was actually undergrad. This is like when healthcare started getting all crazy and uh, hospitals were merging and they were being by, bought out by larger systems and they were, you know, joining together to form, you know, bigger hospital groups. And then there was, you know, Obamacare and there was all kinds of stuff that was happening, you know, in accordance with infiltration of, of insurance companies and the power of drug companies and, you know, the consistent like leaking in of socialism into healthcare. I mean, it was just like a freaking mess. And to try to grow in that environment of the industry, but my role was external. My role was not in a hospital. My role was in an educational capacity where I was in, in this case, I was teaching in different fire departments. And so it was a very bipolar place to be because my internal team, we had reached a point where things were completely fractured. Uh, the, the gentleman who had hired me on when I first got the job, he eventually left his position and he moved out of state. And, you know, our department was constantly being torn apart by some of the financial people in the hospital because they didn't understand what we did. And so you're fighting that. But then to be out and about serving the individuals for whom I'm hired to serve, but their culture was different. I didn't have a strong-rooted history with them clinically like I did from the other place where I came from. Like, everything was completely different. And as strong of a, what I thought while I was there, an asset that I was, as time was going on, I can't even tell you what happened other than I just stayed in the environment too damn long. And I know I mentioned this before on previous podcasts. I was actually, um, at one point, I was actually already in communication with a nurse recruiter to not just leave the job, but I was going to be leaving the state. I was going to be moving to Texas when I was approached by a few fire chiefs to stay and help them remodel, if you would, or structure a formal educational system where the fire departments, rather than just relying on me as the one-pointed person to deliver education, they would have more. So I was actually like building a team, if you would. And I didn't want to do it. It sounded like a great opportunity. Again, I love the development process. And especially if it if it's kind of like business development and you're putting together like the whole entire thing. I love that dimension of it. I knew I was not set up for success from the get-go. And ultimately what happened, it just turned into this tangled mess of horrid, horridness. And again, I own full responsibility that I remained there for way too long. And I should have been, retrospectively, I should have been a tighter guardian for my own self. And I wasn't. This is why on my podcast, I so emphasize the importance of, of looking out for yourself. However, I want to make a point while we're on this podcast, and it's something that I've noticed, is that I forgot the culture of the majority, that the majority of people in the world are more selfish. We're at a very selfish time. And that's not the heart from which I deliver my message. The heart from which I deliver my message 
is straight up at those individuals who are 100% externally focused. And even though there may be a place which may be a detriment, will stay there because it's the right thing to do. And sometimes it is. Sometimes, again, you're in a training environment and it's going to serve you for, you know, something else which comes down the road. But when you are consistently externally focused, you will take a lot of hits and stay in places which not only do they no longer serve you, they've probably never served you, but it's going to severely impact you as an individual and ultimately what happened so that that's like the you know the story of what happened and then eventually yes I left that the role I left that whole entire hospital system and then I obviously left healthcare at large um, because I just decided you know what this industry no it doesn't deserve me anymore but to get to that point and I know that that sounds very vague and or vain and conceited there was a time period after I left, now up to leading that point, I'm the type of individual where, all right, if you try something and it doesn't work, okay, you have to come back, you have to evaluate your motives, make sure you're delivering your message in the right way. Like I had great training on how to be in the front of a room. I had training on how to communicate with C, you know, C-level executives. That, that was never a problem. But sometimes when you end up in the wrong place, what's going to happen is that the environment and the people around you are going to start to either literally, hopefully not literally, but figuratively beat you down. And they're going to start to drip a bunch of bullshit into your head, excuse my language, and it's going to start to smash you down and give you false beliefs about yourself, about the value that you bring to the table. And again, this has personal and professional applications. So you take it and you put it into your own perspective. But I, if I can be 100% honest with you, the, the level and the magnitude of the impact of being in what is essentially abusive environments where you are consistently told how bad you are, how selfish you are, even though I know that that's not the case for my, for, for my own self, I know that now, when you start hearing that, it starts to program you because it's consistently dripping in. And when you are your own hardest critic, you will lay in bed and you will think about this, all the places that you screwed up, and it will become like this mental asylum inside of your head, like this circle of, of insanity where then all of a sudden, you do start to believe it. And I can tell you firsthand that when you are, I can't tell you how many meetings I was publicly shamed or, you know, things are so bad because of you and your education and like humiliated in a very public fashion. And as we were going along and I was building these alleged teams, I would turn around and all of a sudden my alleged teams the, the next, you know, down the, the chain, if you would, people who were then responsible for taking education and then, you know, translating it out, all of a sudden, they would deny me 
and would act in front of their peers like they had never heard information before. And I'm just going to tell you, like when you are in environments and part of it, you know, I can see things a lot clearer now because I'm not in that environment before. At the time, like it was infuriating and embarrassing and just like, what the hell is the matter with you guys? But you have to know the environments that you're in that the culture is going to, again, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So if the culture is loyalty is is based on what the group does or a particular opportunity, you're never going to be able to gain any traction behind individuals whose loyalty either switches up or they're consistently unstable, like you can't rely on them. Does that make sense? And that's the place where I was. There was, it's kind of like, it's, it's based on, it's a paramilitary structure. So if you even think about movies that you've seen, what was that movie with Jack Nicholson and was Demi Moore in that one? Tom Cruise. Remember that one and something happened and, you know, Jack Nicholson, that movie that was quoted like you can't handle the truth, whatever it was, that at the end of that court scene, that one soldier said to the other one I know this is vague I don't remember their names like no we we failed because we didn't we didn't you know care for the people or advocate for the people who couldn't advocate for themselves do you remember that and that was the truth of the point right there that yes they were given orders but the orders were wrong they were harmful orders. And instead of standing up for what was right, they merely followed the orders of the leadership. Okay? And so when you're in environments like that, you're going to find that the effects of it are completely insidious. And so for me, what happened was I pulled myself out. Okay? Like over a course of serious things. Like I'd say that I like literally like freaking pulled the plug on my old life. And it was just like, you know what? F this shit. I've had literally enough. I'm not burned out. I'm actually freaking fed up with this whole entire thing. And when I did that, I pulled the plug on connections with individuals. Like where I was living was pretty far away from a lot of other people. When I pulled the plug, it obviously had financial implications. And so ultimately what I found myself in was a state of complete isolation. So I went from crazy insanity of always being on all the time to complete isolation. And one thing that you need to know about me when I speak, I speak in very literal terms. So when I say isolation, I don't mean like, oh gosh, I was just sitting on my phone, you know, scrolling around. No, I honest to God mean like I was in freaking isolation, sitting with these thoughts about how bad I was, about how little value I contribute, how selfish I was, how um, damaging I was, how terrible I was. And it was, the, it, was, it was playing so strongly in my head that I forgot who I honestly am. And I can only equate it to being in an abusive relationship because I was in those two. And when you pull yourself out, you realize like, oh my God, because I've always been trained to think like, you have to look at yourself first. If you have to ask, yes, the problem is you, 
right? <laughs> so, but when you get into certain situations where you're with slick talkers, high-level manipulators, or you're just surrounded by a bunch of dysfunction, you don't recognize it when you're in it because you're still looking to grow and improve the situation. I'm 100% a caretaker and a healer. I'm like a fixer on every single level. People come to me when there is things that need like major overhaul and I have always been relied on for the leadership skills to assemble teams, to pull out the bullshit and put up like a really stellar structure. That's one of my gifts. And you're not going to be able to do that in the wrong environment. What ends up happening, if you're not a careful and tight guardian about who you surround yourself with, the places that you place yourself, and I say that again because it's very, it's deceptive when you're in that role and you are growing and developing and you're, you believe that you're on like a fast track is you can get sucked up into the velocity and the momentum of things and not realize how far off course you actually go. Even though you're still going to be learning lessons there, for me, the detriment was, oh my God, I'm just sitting here and I do not think that I have any professional anythings to bring to the table anymore. I suck as an educator. I have zero value to bring to the table as a healthcare professional. And on top of it, I have a whole bunch of character traits which just suck ass. I'm a selfish person. I'm an egotistical person. I am self-serving. Like, I'm just telling you that this, it was coming full force in all directions. From friends, not so much, let's call them acquaintances, and let's say family. And when I pulled the plug on that shit and was in this state of isolation and was having a lot of questions about myself, I remember that and I remember... Two things happened. One was I made a post on Facebook and it was, I can't remember what it was about, but I think it was like, it was more of a mother may I sort of a post rather than what my normal is. And somebody from, you know, let's say the previous part of my profession, um, she's a nurse that I worked with. She called me out and she just typed, she said, what the F is this? She goes, this is not you. She said, Nick, you always do stuff and then you talk your way out of it. She goes, what is this uncertainty? I think is what she said it was. And that really played on my brain because I knew here's somebody who knew me for the person that I am. <clears throat> not, <laughs> I know that sounds bad like a salesperson, but I always know, like you commit to the, to the, to the project and then, you know, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission sometimes. But with the assignments that I had been given, like that was, that was what I had to do all the time. And if anything was markedly wrong, then you definitely own that. But you have to make those bold steps forward and then you come back and you fill in the voids. This is why we did this. This is why we did this. And this is why we did this. And they're like, <laughs> okay, Nicole. All right. Okay. <laughs> Everything is good. But I lost that. I lost that because I was operating in this political environment where you always had to do the mother may I first. 
And my, my true people called me to the line on that. They're like, that's, <laughs> that is not you. So that started to like germinate like a new little seedling of hope for me because it, up to that point, like, I, I can't even tell you, like, this was ridiculous what was going on inside of my head. And then the second thing that happened was I had received two, two separate let's say notifications from two people who worked in that hospital system. One apologized and said, we treated you so badly. And then the other one said, I never wanted you in that role. And so once I heard those three things, all of a sudden I was like, you know what? Maybe it's not me. Maybe it is exactly what I said day one of the job. Like I was just in a high political area. And maybe this is what, you know, like when you look at people who are in like government roles, like it's largely political or, you know, different circles like that. And you think to yourself like, wow, excuse me, this is how it ends up like this. No wonder these people act how they do. This is, this is what it is. And so I will tell you the amount of, what can I even say? Mental reverse engineering, I guess, or mental untangling that me personally, I had to do. I like to be sure that when I coach, and I love the the value of the podcast for this, is that I can tell you straight up, even though I know I have a very strong presence in my coaching, and there's a lot of truth in my coaching, and I know that many times people are just like, God, what the F? Like, She's always right about shit. That's because I've learned stuff. And I know that I command myself nine times out of ten from a very strong place. But it's only because of the places where I've been. I've effed up more times along the way than you could ever even possibly know. And I will tell you without a shadow of a doubt, like I I hit one of my lowest times following (laughs) that work experience. And it was, it was caving in on all different dimensions. And as I was making course correction, the next layer to cave in was coming from people who I thought were, it was like closer friends, acquaintances, and family, if you would. And as, so I, I re, I went through like my entire life of people to, to honestly figure out like who really is on my side. Like why have I been hit, hitting all these ceilings all the time? And it was definitely because I was not a strong enough guardian, <clears throat> excuse me, of who I was surrounding myself with. And that uncertainty that I was walking when if there's people who are older than you, who are disrespectful or continually bat you down, one of the places where I wasn't sure how to navigate, I'm going to tell you straight up, it was that one commandment. It says, honor thy mother and father. And that means for me, respect your elders. Well, where's the line? So for me, I had to go and find truth. Like, where is this line? Are, are people just allowed to talk to you? Like if you say, all right, how many times should I forgive people? You know, seven times? No, seven times, 70 times. Okay. All right. Then if somebody slaps you on one cheek, you're supposed to turn the other cheek, you know, and look the other, like, where does it end? Because I knew that for me, 
as that sort of an individual who I'm, I'm completely cerebral, but I'm also completely very heart-led in, in everything that I do. And I want the best for other people, and I will fight tooth and nail. I will be mama bird and protect my people from, and that, my, that's my family, that's my friends, that's my patients, that's, that's everybody. That's simply who I am. And I will take a hit for you. I will get thrown under a bus for you. I would take a freaking bullet for you. But you leave yourself in a place of high vulnerability if you don't know what the back, the, the back bookend is of what you will actually tolerate. Does that make sense? Like for me to be operating in the emergency role, all right, I've got people on drugs there's no way I'm going to be able to educate them on how to have manners. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you, you just know, like you have people who are psychotic. They're calling you all kinds of very colorful names. And oftentimes you're pretty impressed at how well, like where they you know, get these names from. Like, wow. But where does the line get crossed? The line gets crossed when they become threatening and they, they, you know, punch you in the face or smash you into the wall. Like there's physical, they're actually physically touching you, right? Or they're threatening you with weapons or, or something. You know what I'm saying? They're, they have HIV and now they're threatening to bite you and, and, you know, right? So there's that. That's obvious. But that middle ground of how much are you willing to take? And so for me, the lid was always, there was high levels of dysfunction all over the place and nobody was operating in the truth. And so, again, even though I say nursing was never meant to be a long-term strategy for me, I never knew what the next thing was going to be for me because I loved the growth and development possibility and opportunity and everything about the human body that there is in healthcare. Like, now what? And so when you look at this big piece and you say, okay, here's the situation. Maybe my circle sucks. I can go work somewhere else. I'll maintain my standard of living. But when you get over there, the dysfunction is just as high because it's infiltrated with all the junk that I talked about. Only now you're in a new environment, a new culture, and you're coming in as a newbie. So they don't even know your past. Like you're always either starting over or they're not paying attention to safety. I took a position as a school nurse for a period of time. And there was, there was zero, zero. I couldn't believe with the level of violence that was in this community, how lax everybody was when it came to safety. I couldn't believe I walked into the high school. I was not questioned as to who I was. There was no metal detector. There was no anything, nothing. And it was mind blowing for me. Like how, 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 (laughs) right? How can this possibly be? And when you're in that level of dysfunction, and I only took that job because of how freaking broke I was, you're in the level of dysfunction. People just, they, they like just keep their head in their sand, in the sand. And I thought, do they honestly not know about safety here? Like what, what the hell? And then as I got to talk to people, they said, we're just so lucky that nothing has ever happened. So they're aware, but there was no initiation to do what was right, which in this case was straight up safety. Why? Because of the different tie-ins with politics and, and all kinds of stuff, you know, that infiltrates the education industry 
And now healthcare is trying to operate in that. Like, no. So for me, I knew that, like, this is simply just not going to work anymore. All right. This is like beyond. What I'm saying is that as you are then making realizations that when a flower doesn't bloom, I'm thinking of the quote, you change the environment, not the flower. And the amount of mental untangling that comes along when you pull yourself out of those situations that then you make realizations that for me have actually been pretty humbling. Like, yeah, I know that I'm a very hard driver in many ways, but I, it actually wasn't me. <laughs> and it's, it's been ultimately so refreshing, but at the same time, it's sad because with that realization comes the the necessary acceptance of places where you can no longer stay and that's part of your growth process too is that that was your training ground for a period of time or maybe it was you know an absolute mistake for you to be there I don't know what the application is for you but once you make that concrete realization like your aha moment you must leave otherwise you will stay and you will be completely batted down and you will completely change identities. Your gifts will no longer be highlighted and it will literally be lethal to you. I promise you. I promise you. And having said that, like pass through the worst financial time of my entire life. And I'm going to be straight honest with you. Like I say this about the past five years. But there was a time, it was, was like, what, 2015 or something like that. I literally had no food. Honest to God. Like, there's people who say, like, oh, I have nothing to eat. And then you open up their pantry and they've got a whole bunch of stuff. They just don't want to eat it. I had nothing, okay? Like, I, was, I had enough money to eat once every 24 to 48 hours. No shit. And on top of it, because of obviously like levels of stress, I don't know what else to, uh, to attribute this to. All of a sudden I had these weird food allergies where stuff, I know how to eat really cheaply. Okay. You get eggs, you get tuna in a can and you can get a bag of rice. And I mean, that can like, that can take you, you know, forever. And eggs were making my throat close. Tuna was making my throat close. And there were a couple nights where I actually slept sitting up because I couldn't, my throat was closing because of what I was eating. And I know that that is totally contradictory to what we practice in healthcare. I had zero resource. There was no way I was going to be able to pay for an EpiPen. There was no way I was going to be able to pay for a trip to the emergency room. Like it was like that. And when you're sitting in a state of isolation, which was where I was and my experience with this, like I've, I've even been timid to tell people about this because people attack me and they say, you know what? You just weren't trying hard enough. You're just not creative enough. You just rely too much on having a job. Like you, how can you not be making money during these times? My experience was I, 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 and I posted this on my Facebook page on purpose. I started cleaning houses and I was ridiculed. They're like, well, what the fuck? You're like you clean toilets. And I made a joke about it. I said, you know what? I consider it an upgrade from being directly shit on by my patients. But even for me to get jobs, house cleaning, everybody that I knew, knew or knows 
my level of education. And so for them, they were like, what the F is the matter with this lady? Like why she's got, she can go work anywhere. She can earn high levels of income. Why in the hell is she not working? So then they started making stories about how I was crazy and about all different kinds of things. And I was just underemployed. I couldn't get work (laughs) because at many times I was then too overqualified. And nobody wanted to have a nurse cleaning their house. And like, it was so, it was not like, I remember growing up and even being in college, like how simple it was to get work, how simple it was to babysit, how simple it was to get scrap jobs. But people know when they talk to you, like there's this woman, you know, (laughs) it was, it was insane. That's all I can tell you. And if you're passing through those times, man, my heart goes out to you. Keep on pushing forward. It's going to be better. As long as you keep on pushing forward, what you're going to have to do is again, for myself, I had to literally shut everybody out. So when I say isolation, I honest to God mean it. It was just me and God for a long, 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 long time. Zero interaction from people, zero check-in from people, zero trust from people. And for most people, it was so hard for them to watch me go through all of this different stuff of course correction, of you know, struggling within different businesses and, and things like that, that I had to sit them down, even in my heights of stress. And I had to say them, look at them straight in the eye. And I had to, I had to release them. And I said, you know what, if this is too hard for you to watch, you're going to have to look the other way. So you're going to have to allow those people who feel like they should still be in your life, but they're causing you harm by being there. Not because they're malintentioned. It's actually the opposite. They care a lot and they worry. They're not going to allow you to power through what is your your path. So you have to silence it. And I, I envision the hallway. I've mentioned this before. I envision myself in a hallway with a bunch of doors that any place that made my brain feel like it was like mental martini shaker inside of my head, I mentally put them behind doors in this hallway so that I could be quiet and I could hear myself think and I could hear God speaking to me. That was it. And so then I was walking down the hallway at the very end. I could see the very, very end is like a room with a a door, which is slightly ajar. And there was like a glow of a light, like the light at the end of the tunnel, except it was at the end of the hallway. I could see that. And all along were all these different doorways of different places and different people that I had been. And I just got totally clear on truth. Again, what does the Bible say about how people are allowed to treat you, especially as a woman? You know, where does the woman fall? The word in the Bible is called submission. And that's just, you know, nobody wants to hear or talk about that one. But we're honest to God. Where does a woman fit in here? Like where, especially if she's not married and she doesn't have any children, you know, I cannot even, I'm speaking to some of my women right now. Like I know what people say about you. I know they said stuff, they made all kinds of stuff up about me that I had this, you know, huge life swinging from the chandeliers. And it was, it was so far from the truth that on the one hand, it was very comical, 
I was completely submerged in my life. You know, all these different things about how selfish I was, that I wasn't able to take care of other people. But when I stepped back and I honestly looked at this through the lens of clarity, it was very comical because what people were talking about was that I was so selfish, I wasn't going to be able to take care of a family, yet I'm actually a master caregiver. I've been doing that since I was four, and I invested my entire life on taking care of other people. So what I'm saying is like you can be in environments with people who have a very limited view of you. And they only, they only see this one spot. And they can, when you continually hear that dripping on you, it can start to program you and cause you to have very, very terrible beliefs about yourself. And that's part of like an abusive cycle. And whether or not they realize that they're doing it is, is not like, that's not your problem. Your problem is maintaining that strength and that mental fortitude to be able to identify and call bullshit on stuff that's coming at you. But it's very hard to do when you are broken on on multiple fronts, when you are honestly struggling just for your basic needs. Holy crap, maybe this is true. Like when you're weary, when you're tired, when you're freaking hungry, like it puts you in a state of desperation. And when you have no, no support structure and nobody who you can honestly rely on, there's no place else for you to go except straight vertical. And that's what I did. I honestly just got straight vertical with God and had to get course correction and truth so that as we move to, for us, what's the next season, this next adventure, if you would, to be able to come in with that truth backing now is one of the strongest backbones of our training and coaching academy. I didn't realize that as I was going through it because it sucked balls, man. (laughs) She's a girl. She just said balls. I did. I mean, it was shitty. It was rough. And then it was very sad because then there were people who showed up when I was going through that. I prayed for God-fearing people to come around me. And remember, I had also started the adoption process. And as a single woman, to not have a fatherly figure, one of my prayers has always been, please surround me with God-fearing men so that when I have these children, they come into my existence, they're going to be able to be sharpened by the right type of men. And so your prayers are always answered. So as I was going along, there were definitely God-fearing men who showed up. And they weren't just God-fearing in terms of how to raise children. They were God-fearing in terms of the level of respect that they have for women and their ability to be others-focused and others-centric and kind. And I remember this happened once when I was, I was lifting And again, I was always by myself, but at the time there was one guy that I met, Bob, Bob, if you're listening, thank you so much, who was literally just very kind and he was very bright and bubbly personality. And I remember he said something to me and I said, I I was like 
in tears because he was being so kind. And I, I remember saying to him, like, I don't even know what to do when you're so nice to me. And he looked at me like I was crazy, <laughs> but he wasn't judgmental. And it was the first time when I realized what it was like de- dealing with somebody who had a very, very strong value system and somebody who had that right moral compass is he said, well, you're so nice. And up to that point, I will tell you, like the, the damage that can be done when you're constantly hearing how bad you are all the time, you start to believe it. And it can program you through what you see on social media, what you hear in music, and all sorts of things. That's why it's critical for you to be very clear on the places that you place yourself because of the insidiousness of the damage that can come out. Even when you enter that from a very, very high vantage point and you are known for your strength. If it can happen to me, I guarantee you it can happen to anybody, but it's never too late. You're never bound and you're never stuck in that situation. You can totally move yourself and position yourself and get back what was broken down. And that's on every front. That's the spiritual component. That's your financial component. That's relationship component. That's all of it. And you let your light actually shine through. And you are the person that you knew that you were all the time. And that's when you start to really become comfortable in your own skin. Yes, you've made mistakes. Yes, you've probably effed up more times than not. Yes, you've probably miscommunicated. Yes, you probably were an a-hole from time to time. Guess what? You're a human, not a freaking robot. But when you make the decision on what it is that you want, who you want to be surrounded with, the caliber of people, the amount of love, it will always deliver, but you have to make the decision. And then once you pull the cord on the bullshit, you have to accept every single piece of fallout that it is and put your freaking shell on and keep on marching forward. If you go down into the pits, I promise you it's going to suck ass while you're down there. You will always come back up. Air always rises. So just hang on. <laughs> You're going to be praying more times than you even realize. It's going to seem like it takes forever and a day. But when you take a landscape view, that season that you spent, for me, in 100% isolation, it was rough, dude. It was uh, completely rough. But oftentimes, that's the only way you can be quiet enough to do the healing that you need to heal and to be able to hear God at a very high level. And then get ready because then once you move into rebuild, you're going to be working hard, you're going to be working heavy, and you're going to be putting up structures that are so freaking strong, nobody's going to be able to tear them down. I promise you. I promise you. Just stay in the game. And that's all I got for you, my friends. So we're about to close out here. I want to thank you for joining us on today's podcast. I know that that was probably more information that you ever even needed to know. All right? The takeaway is the importance of who you surround yourself with. Okay? Be true to yourself. Get right with God. (laughs) And come back next time. I don't know what we're going to be talking about, but we're going to have fun. All right. Make it a great day. I'll talk to you next time. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye.